All right, welcome to Revenue Champions. Nelson, I am really excited to have you here to talk about a couple of main things, demand gen and the buyer-centric model. Uh, could you kick us off first by just telling listeners who you are and what you're working on at the moment? Some pretty exciting stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, pretty spicy stuff. Hey, everyone. Hey, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. It's going to be a great talk. So for those of you who may not know me, Nelson Gilliatt, I'm the author of The Death of the SDR and The Birth of Buyer-Centric Revenue, um, which I published maybe four or five months ago, essentially challenging the predictable revenue model as well as quota and commission. And then I present the buyer-centric revenue model as an alternative. So you know, it goes into a lot of history of the model and kind of how we ended up where we are today, a lot of the problems that we're seeing today in marketing and sales, um, and then some suggested solutions and ways for companies to experiment and to, you know, be able to sort of prove things at their own company. So I've been uh, kind of stirring the pot a little bit, as it were, on LinkedIn. You can, you know, I'm pretty active there. And some of the recent posts have kind of started to make headwaves. And, you know, I think people are um, glad that this discussion is being had because, you know, I, don't, I you know, it's not so much my solutions that are, I think are, I'm just trying to get people to kind of get towards the solution or try to figure, we'll collectively figure it out because there's obviously some big problems in marketing and sales that people are chewing on. Um, and so that's all, it's just trying to create a good discussion. So I hope everyone who's listening weighs in and, you know, tries to contribute so we can all, you know, ha you know, get, get towards progress. What I like about what you're doing is you're, you're, whether it's frothy or not, you're starting a conversation. And I think it's a conversation that uh, that needs to happen. And there's not necessarily one way to get after it, but the thing that I love about what you're bringing to the market is you're, you're actually putting the person that we should care about in mind here, the buyer-centric model. And so I, I'm excited to dive in a little bit here. And I think it all starts with this demand gen versus lead gen, right? So demand gen, lead gen, big topic at a moment. Um, and you're becoming an advocate of the demand generation in marketing. But, uh, and maybe it helps to first start with just the definitions of the two from your perspective. And then maybe how, how'd you first kind of figure out about this transition from what you would used to call lead gen into now what, what you would consider demand gen. And let's, let's start there. Cause I think that's the most yeah. important piece uh, mm -hmm. of this conversation, right? Yeah, sure. So I started off uh, my career in B2B as an SDR, um, and then eventually as a SDR slash AE, uh, or as what is commonly known as a full sales cycle seller, which I think is a corruption of the term, and we can talk about that, but uh, did a lot of prospecting, um, you know, did a lot of quote unquote lead gen. Um, and then, you know, I started to get exposed to marketing and to demand gen. Um, and I started to notice the difference in the two between what sales development was doing, which is prospecting, um, and what marketing is doing and what demand gen is doing. Um, and I think some of it has to do, or I think just to kind of clarify the distinction between the two, or, or at least how I see it. So some people will frame this as lead gen versus demand gen. Um, what I see it is it's sales development versus marketing. And there's a bit of a war that's kind of going on between the two. And, and if you, um, maybe it helps to clarify the difference is almost in the definition of a lead. So according to yeah. marketing or demand gen, and I use them both synonymously, um, 
the definition of a lead is someone that comes to the website, requests a demo, and is automatically qualified uh, on the website. So this is like someone who raises their hand, a website demo request. Um, do you, whereas do you put any, the, do you, do you put any uh, uh, qualification around that? Or do you say, hey, anyone who comes to my website and requests a demo is a lead? Oh, no. So, you know, marketing has to, can't give sales anyone and everyone. They have to, qual that's marketing's job. It's the baton, the, that sort of baton handoff. Marketing needs to qualify that buyer. And so that's happening on the website with a few form questions. So on the demo request form, you can just like ask a few questions, not only to qualify the buyer, but also to help personalize the demo a little bit and give a better buyer experience. But that should be something that's automated on the website. Okay. Um, and a lot of people are already doing that. Um, there's plenty of software vendors to enable that. And it's a much better buyer's experience, right? When you just want to go and yep, okay, cool, answer a few things, book a time from a seller's calendar, boom, it's in, you know, you're off, you're off to the races. Um, now the lead gen or what sales development, I think how they define a lead um is an MQL or a marketing qualified lead, which is a fancy way of saying the contact information of an uninterested buyer. Um, which marketing or demand gen or sales development um, is trying to produce in order that sales development can take that contact information and go do um, sales development marketing activities or prospecting activities, which is essentially telemarketing, um, you know, emailing people, LinkedIn messages, um, you know, maybe sending them direct mail or physical mail to their work or home address. Um, and I and I have a very negative view on that type of marketing. I actually consider that spam. The way I define spam as like this sort of intrusive, unsolicited, um, yeah, solicitations to a buyer's private inbox. Whether it's the phone or their email or their the work or personal address. Um, so I, I take a rather negative view on sales development. But I think what's happening today is that. Um, given the modern internet, given modern buyer preferences, given modern marketing, there's a huge battle going on between marketing and sales development, and it's couched in terms of lead gen and demand gen. But really what is being said is it's sales development versus marketing versus marketing. And I think companies are increasingly becoming marketing led. Um, and it's it, it sort of, th there's this realization that I think we need to rethink sales development and what role they need to play. Um, and clearly they're struggling because if you look at the sales development landscape, um, you know, there's high turnover, low tenure, low performance, um, you know, low job satisfaction. So, you know, some statistics, there's 39% turnover, you know, there's 14 months of your tenure and it's dropping 11 of those months. You know, if you factor in ramp is when you're actually, you know, you know, three months ramp time is pretty average. So it's like 11 months that you're kind of in the role ramped up. And 48% meeting quota attainment, you know, leaving aside sort of everything else that happens after the meeting, which is what's really important. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, so, so you know, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go back to something real quick too, because I think it's going to be important. Um, when you say MQL, that this is the difference here now with the sales development MQL, these are still, these are still contact. This is still contact information that is being generated from marketing since it's the marketing qualified lead. Are you also bucketing purchase data? Say something like uh -huh. a, like a cognizant or are you differentiating them between those two as well? Cause I want to be really clear on that. Cause the difference between someone coming in, filling on a form saying, yes, I want to take some time with sales versus someone that came to the website. I've captured your information through enrichment mm -hmm. and now, and now I'm, I'm reverse reverse sending you more information is I, I want to get some clarity. Yeah. Yeah. That. So, so basically, um, 
you know, sales development needs contact information to go and like, as I consider it, again, very negatively to spam buyers to, you know, they yeah. need phone numbers, they need email addresses, they need what they need, whatnot. Let's, let's look up, and, let's look yeah. up the definition of spam for sure. Because it, in my opinion, I know there's debates about this, but spam, right, definition is, uh, uh, I just want to, why I can't I spell right now? Um, spam well, definition look, yeah. is a, sp like spam is digital junk mail, unsolicited communication sent in bulk over the internet or through an electronic messaging system. So you're, you're, I think you're correct in terms of what you consider spam. Now, spam being what a lot of sales development teams do. And let me just make sure, I think we're saying the same things here, but I just want to get clarity so we can continue down this topic. Hmm. Spam being, hey, I've purchased bulk contact information. I've created a template and I'm sending the same thing to, maybe I set up, split up a couple little words, but it's the same thing to hundreds, if not thousands of people unsolicited into their inboxes, right? Into their, into their inboxes. That's what you're considering spam. If, so if just a clarification there. Um, it's not so much about the quantity. Um, sure. So it's not about bulk. It's the nature of it is the way I define it. It's sending unsolicited, intrusive marketing solicitations to buyers' private inboxes, whether it's their phone. Any email, at all. Phone. Any at yes. all. So you would consider if somebody took the time, they, so, so this is an example that I think would be where the debate will happen. Um, somebody is talking about a problem on LinkedIn. Wow, Nelson, uh, you're, you're, you're thinking about modern uh, marketing. And so I then look up your contact information and I send you a one-to-one -one, uh, email saying, hey, Nelson, I really liked what you said about modern marketing. Um, and then I have some sort of information and I want to meet with you. You'd consider that spam. So, um, not, it depends, uh, let me just flesh that out a little bit in your specific yeah. example. And I'll share some examples of what I think is appropriate, uh, let's say emails to send and inappropriate spam emails to send. Okay, um, yeah. so I think appropriate ways, if you're going to email a buyer, so if there's some key tactical takeaways here. So if you're going to invite a buyer to do some co-marketing with you, like invite them on a podcast, be a speaker at an event, you know, weigh in on the key topic of what's going on in the industry but it's a non-sale situation, um, it, it, it's, it's content-based. Um, that is an appropriate thing to send to a buyer. Hey, I've noticed you know, you're pretty influential or, or weighing in on this topic, or you might have some things to say about this. We'd love to, to, to interview you, we'd love to whatever, and then you distribute that on social, whatever. That's a, sort of an appropriate way to, 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 to engage people. Or let's say you've had a prior relationship with this buyer. Um, maybe they were a previous customer, um, and they change their job to a new company. Great. You can, you know, hit them up again in an appropriate way, or maybe they spoke to sales, but never bought, um, for a variety of different reasons, you know, a recycle campaign, let's say. So there's a prior relationship there and you say, Hey, you know, something has changed on our end, different feature, different pricing, whatever, or we know, you, you, you know, so then you, you hit them up again, or let's say it's a referral introduction. You have some warm introduction or from someone else, Hey, someone, so introduced me. Great. That's, that's, that, you know, that's appropriate. Um, but it's also, you, you know, it's not, so you send like, you know, one, maybe two emails. You have to be very careful. It's not like, but so there's certain contexts in which it's appropriate. It's not like you're then putting them into also a, like a very automated sequence that goes on for a, a while, but that's like, you have to kind of be very careful that it's not this sort of sales. Hey, do you want to speak to sales? Hey, you know, this is sort of, um, uh, an unsolicited content. Here's this white paper that we produce, check it out. And, you know, 
um, there, there's certain situations where I think it's 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 okay to hit up a buyer. Now, the the examples of where I think it is spam um, is like, yeah, you're going to hit up someone and it's like, hey, here's what we do. Do you want to speak to sales? Um, you know, and and also there's I want to use a, a non-email example, um, which is ads. So some people might say, sure, well, are ads spam? No, no, no. Um, an ad on a public platform with where users consent to you know to these ads and they're scrolling or whatever um be advertised you know, too yeah that is not that's not spam it's just like you know people buyers aren't getting fussed about when they're on social media scrolling or if they're searching something into google and they see that it's like no it's not that private inbox it's not you know um it, it's a totally different nature so i don't think people should conflate the two now to go back to your prior question about what is a, an mql um so the way that sales development gets contact information is basically two ways. One, it's a list purchase where you just buy the contact information. And the other way is where marketing who's forced to support sales development, um, you know, has to create content and then gate that content and say, Hey, in order to access this content, right, you need to give me your contact information. And then they, or, you know, you're attending an event and it's like, then they will give, you know, that contact information and sales development. So for example, if um, anyone who's listening to this had to, if this was a gated talk or a gated podcast, after the back of this podcast, they might get sales development outreach. Um, right. And so a big part of what marketing is fighting against is having to do gated content in order to generate MQLs for sales development and then okay. um, so, a whole bunch of other things. So from, so from a definition perspective, from a definition of an MQL here, then it's it is marketing generated lead for contact information that's provided uh, to get a content. And then when sales development reps are proactively reaching out against that without necessarily the intent of, I wanted to be reached from sales. This is where your, this is your definitions. Again, this is where you're, you're kind of looking at the difference. I am curious. I don't want to I'll get into this a little bit later, but um, the subjectivity around what is okay and what's not right. Um, because should it come down to relevancy and like, if, if the, if the engagement, the interruption, the bombarding of their private stuff, um, now if that's valuable or am I going to be upset? Like you use the example of content, right? Well, if I'm a content creator, you reach out to me and I want to do work with you. Well, then we just did that and that's okay. Is it okay only because it had a positive outcome or is it literally that you can only do it for content? Because let's use another example. Um, I provide loans to businesses. You're a small business owner who could use some working capital. I reach out to you. You say, great, we do business together. Now that was a positive outcome, but I, I, I do the exact same thing to 10 others and they all say no, which is, is that a bad experience because the other said no, or is it a good? So that's where the debate I think starts here. Where's the, where's the line between when's it's okay to have contact information to engage people versus if they only came in and said, I'm ready to talk right now. Yeah. So, you know, and I, the way I see it is that it's marketing's job to like, you know, distribute that content or that message um, out to people that you have about your company in a way that's mm -hmm. non spammy um, and is non intrusive. Um, and so part of what marketing's job is, is to generate such great content and put it out there for free in all these different channels um, and get buyers to come and consume that and keep coming back and either following them on LinkedIn or opting into their 
to receive this content so they don't miss it, you know, giving their email address and saying, yes, I actually would like to be, you know, let me know about more of your events and more, you know, I'd like to keep coming to your webinars or your weekly, you know, get togethers or, or whatnot, or, or these blogs that you're putting out there that's helping me and like educating me, influencing me, like entertaining me, whatnot, like helping me to level up. I want more of that. Thank you. Um, or how do you, it's like, how do you, you know, different, how do you, how do you differentiate those? So I, I understand that there's, I get your point around the intrusive side of things, but like, how do you differentiate between that one email? Again, let's use the content except that one email, like, Hey, you want to do content versus, Hey, do you want a loan? If I said that one time and it's, it's relevant, well, guess what? I just got a customer. If I, if it's not relevant, I might have someone that's frustrated. Uh, same thing. If you reach out to me via content, Hey, that's not relevant. I don't want to do content with you. Add you to spam still intrusive right into my private inbox versus not. And then I like the, the, the example of the ads is an interesting one too, because uh, I, I, I think the ads is an outbound channel, right? It's just, it's a way to distribute a message, right? And the, the reason why ads are usually done better than most, it, not always, but is that there is a, a really solid uh, targeting mechanism built into the ads, right? So you can create a decent audience and then your, your, your offer or message is going, the content you're creating is going to resonate to that audience. Ideally, that's how it works. And then they're going to opt in through you know, a lead form or something like that. You're going to retarget to them, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but that's still outbound, right? You wouldn't have known. I, I'm not going to show up in that feed because you're not a connection with me. Like I had to intrude. It's, it's like, here it is. So whether that's an email or a LinkedIn engagement DM or something of that nature, if you, if you connected with somebody or a phone call, right? Is the issue the way it's being delivered or is it truly the channel from your perspective? Yeah. So it, it's, a it's, it's primarily the way it's delivered. Um, and I, I would, in terms of like a channel, say like I would never use telemarketing or text people um, as like a marketing channel. Um, see, yeah. So I think that that's, if you think about it from a, like a buyer's perspective, I think that is the most like intrusive and annoying of all the channels that they don't really appreciate. Like an email is like, they can ease like, you know, spam filter it or block that or delete it or whatnot. I'll, I'll, like, I'll, I'll challenge that one because I can easily block a phone call. Actually, my, my phone does it for me. Now, if you're not a contact, it doesn't even come through. I can easily do that. But my freaking e inbox, my email inbox is just full of this stuff. I can't create enough filters to get rid of them all. Right. And then I spend, you know, 30, 40 minutes a day trying to delete spam in my inbox. Um, so you, you should know, get gated. I, well, well, I get, again, I don't, I don't think it has to, that, that this might be a perspective you have because maybe you don't like phone calls, but there are people, I mean, I'm a, I'm a caller, right? And, and I'm just being devil advocate, but mm -hmm, devil mm -hmm. advocate, uh, uh, here, I just got off a live session with Josh. We talk about the intent not being, let's like sell you something or, or buy something, but it's like a little discovery. Hey, we speak with people like you, not even sure if it's the right place. You know, do you have some sort of pain problem, et cetera? Can we, can we, can we get some information? Can we get that information in front of you? No different than an ad. It's just using the voice, a, a conversation. And by the way, a disqualification. So you don't get spammed. You don't get emails if it's not you, right? Like it's, it's, it's actually a clean way to do this. You could do the same thing, I think, in most channels. It's the intent that might be the wrong thing and maybe the perceived like misalignment because there are people that actually appreciate calls. That's how they learn about things. There are people who appreciate emails. I'm not one of them, but and it's just like, you're not someone who likes, likes email or uh, phone calls, it seems like, but there are por portions of the market. So again, is it, is it intent or channel in general? And, and, and then there's this black and white area of, 
of um, like subjectivity, right? Well, it's okay if it's in this this format versus that format. And is that does that have to do with the quality of the content, the message that's being delivered, or or the intent? I guess uh, is yeah. Because I, I think this is where the debate's going to really hit the it, ground, it, right? With, it could be like a mixture about. of both, but I think fundamentally, like in terms of what buyer preferences and where marketing is at, it's it's not about trying to distribute your message to a, you know in an intrusive way to a buyer's private inbox. It's trying to get that message out in in much more buyer friendly ways. And so to kind of like clarify some what some of those are, just to give people some examples. Mm -hmm. um, primarily today, so like the go to is like right. Everyone says content, content, educational, entertaining, inspirational content, audio, written, visual, anything that buyers can watch, read, or listen to on any channel, whatever, podcast, guest podcast, you know, videos, um, digital illustrations, memes, social posts, comments, um, you know, events, fireside chats, webinars, you know, conferences, articles, case studies, guides, blogs, research surveys and reports, free templates and tools, you know, a book, um, you know, a lot of companies will write a book or something, courses or certifications, um, you know, billboards, whatever ads, you know, that's a way of you, that, that's a form of content, um, you know, all this type of stuff, thought leadership, content roundups, you know, what other people are producing, you kind of like collating that, whatever. Um, and also using social media to can also, you know, to help distribute that. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Reddit, Quora, TikTok, whatever, or podcast platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so these are, these are platforms that your buyers are on constantly multiple times a day to learn, laugh, network with their peers. And so you're kind of, you know, putting that content out there, getting, getting them to amplify it, tagging the right people that you're maybe co-marketing with. And that's another thing. It's like, you're producing content with your audience. So you do a lot of, you invite your, your customers, your prospects, influencers in the space, um, you know, thought leaders. Um, and, and so you're producing this really great, relevant, high quality content, such as this podcast, um, and then you chop that up and then you distribute on social, you tag the right people, you get the network effect, all that type of stuff. Um, and it, it's not like this sort of salesy thing, you know, it's like, you know, we're talking about interesting things to help you level up. It's that give to get, it's that value, you're building your brand, whatnot. And then also there's your advertisements. So you can run ads on these social platforms or on podcasts, um, you know, uh, or sponsor forums and communities, um, you know, whatnot. You can put ads anywhere um, and get your message out there. And as you say, you can get really targeted, you know, with who you're trying to go after. You can even do like one-to-one -one ads. It's like, hey, XYZ company, you know, whatever. Um, and so, you know, as people are scrolling, they see that stuff. And maybe you've got all sorts of different ads with, you know, different creatives, different messages. Some are funny or whatever. They got videos and people are like, huh, that's interesting. And maybe they come to your website or maybe they just planted the seed. They recognize your name and, you know, whatever that gets them thinking. Um you know, and then also there's, you know, if digital events or, you know, events are huge right now where you can kind of bring people together. Again, this co-marketing thing on these panels, on these firesides, on these summits, and these conferences, roadshows, interviews, whatever, AMAs, ask me anything. Um, and then, you know, you record it again, you like distribute it. So for example, Cognizm, right, is, is a great content marketing media agency and they're you're 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 interviewing all sorts of great people you're putting out wonderful content you're you're recording it you're chopping it up you're distributing it you know you're building a really great content team um and and i think people are really digging that and responding to it um there's also you know your partner marketing so you work with you know 
people in your space, like, it, you know, in this ecosystem that are tangentially related to your company and, and you kind of like co-market into each other's customer bases. So you've got partners you work with, you've got referral partners, you've got your affiliate partners, whatnot. Um, a lot of community marketing is going on today where it's like buyers obviously um, are leaning heavily on marketing before they ever speak to sale. They do most of their sell, you know, education thanks to marketing. So they're most, the, you know, wait like 80% or something through their purchasing jersey before they get to sales. And sometimes they never ever get to sales because there's some self-service involved. Um, but a lot of it is also from their peers, which your marketing is also um, influencing. So when they go and hit up, you go hit up a peer to learn about a vendor, it's like, yeah, they'll tell you like, you know, you, you know, in communities like, yeah, hey, what do people think about Cognizant? Um, is it good? Is it bad? How's it compared to, I don't know, Zoom Info or something like that? And then you get some you get some feedback from your peers. And so where companies are kind of leaning heavily into is in, in sort of this community where it's not, it doesn't necessarily need to be like a formal community, like a Slack group or a Facebook group or whatever, but it, you know, it could be a LinkedIn following. It could just be like like-minded people who like your brand, who like your content, who really value the value that you're putting out there. Um, and so you're kind of fostering this sort of connection, this sort of following. Um, and there's this positive word of mouth and affinity for you guys. Um, and so companies are really tapping into that. Um, so I know that was a lot, but these are just some some examples. There's a whole lot more that are that's There's a way a, better so, way of going about things. So, but your 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 argument at this stage is like with demand gen versus lead gen is it starts with really thoughtful content. Like you're actually bringing something to the market that is not buy my stuff now. It's it's uh, generated around education, entertainment, something to to try to well, I guess what the word is get people interested. Uh, but not in the function of let's buy some stuff now, but to get to know you, to to network, to um, to learn these types of things, right? So content is is king in this demand gen versus lead gen model, which is um, uh, here's a name and a contact information. Let's talk to sales now. Versus hey, we've created this following and this group of individuals who are likely to when ready engage. So that's kind of that that's definition. I think yeah. where, I, th I think where where this gets a little mucky is distribution. Cuz I think I fo I follow a lot of this and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But with the way I look at if sales development is done right, sales development is done right, then what you what you're able to do is actually recreate a human into a one-to-one -one ad unit. <laughs> Because whether you want to believe that an ad is intrusive or not, it is intrusive. And whether our own free platforms or not, that's debatable. But people still have bad experiences, right? That's why people have ad blockers. That's why you know companies are considering taking off ads because they're so disruptive to certain people. Certain people. Some people don't mind them. You know, when done right, it's right. When done wrong, it's bad. But distribution teams seems to be the big challenge here, and the intent of that distribution. So, in a lead gen model or a demand gen model, using the sales development function. Sales development within demand generation could be a way to distribute valuable, insightful uh, content, inviting them to communities that they weren't aware of, inviting them to events that they, they might be at, right? That's it. That's the only intent. And is that still yeah. a problem or is, so, that, is that where the line gets crossed here, right? So I'll say a few things. One is like for the certain examples where it's a, I think it's acceptable to like email a buyer um, that, I, that I outlined before. That's something that you don't need sales development or probably one sales development for. That's something that like, like marketing, yeah, marketing, can, marketing, absolutely do. Yeah, absolutely. Marketing absolutely. coordinator, demand gen specialist. Like you can send someone an email and invite them to an event. Like that's cool. Um, but is it, now, but is it better if it's one-to-one -one? meaning I can create a blast 
to from marketing, I can blast a list to say, hey, we're going to be at this event. Hope you're there. Or do I get better engagement if I go, hey, Nelson, you wrote a book about demand gen, really digging it. I was hoping I could see you at some point during the event. Yeah. What's so the, it's what's the, the different? What's the difference yeah. between the two? So it's like in that it's obviously that it's you you'd want to do the latter, right? And but the what I, what I think is important to note is that sales development, like again, you don't want or need sales development to be to send those one to one emails to invite people to co marketing to events. Marketing is already is doing that already. A lot of you know you don't need that. I think that with the nature of sales development, the whole purpose and design of sales development, the incentives there, um, is essentially to do a high volume of prospecting or what I consider to be spam. You've got quotas, your monthly meeting quota, you've got your maybe activity quotas. So it goes you've got... back to the intent. And this goes this goes in your book, you're talking about predictable revenue model and the old school way of of assembly line, right? So the challenge here now it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's not the uh, the right way to do it. Like that resource could be used if maybe thought about differently, right? If there weren't yeah quote if there weren't quotas associated with the sales development rep they weren't thinking about generating SQLs, right? Instead of MQLs, the sales qualified leads, it's the assembly line, the predictable model that you talk about. If that wasn't there, uh, and let's call them marketing development reps, because they are still one-to-one -one ad people now, is that is that now gonna change the game? There's no quotas associated with these people. All they do is distribute content or distribute a message to market one-to-one, hyper-targeted to, -one, hyper -targeted to the, the people that you want to be doing business with, does that change the landscape if they're so, if the intent if the intent isn't quota commission by now, but it's hey, you look like someone that potentially should be aware of what we do. Because I think that's um, the that's that's the big thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind around on. on so it's definitely. like if you look at what a uh, marketing coordinator or demand gen specialist or a marketing specialist, whatever, um, you know, or someone who works in marketing, content specialist, whatever, um, is yeah, they they don't have quotas, they don't have commission, they don't, you know, um and part of their role includes, hey, um, let's invite this buyer to come onto our podcast or come onto events. This non-sale situation, or hey, we want to do some marketing, re um, some some product marketing research, essentially, where it's just like we want to ask people for feedback on like our product, our messaging. It's a non-sales thing. It's going to be marketers to the to to the buyers. There's no sales involved. There's no sales pitch. Whatever that happens all the time, and buyers are always happy to give advice and you know things like that. Um, to vendors in the space, there's a whole market around that. These are some companies who are creating a marketplace for that. Anyway, um, and so, I but hear, yeah, you don't. What, what I hear, Nelson, when when you're talking about this stuff, though, it seems like there's like a distaste for the word sales. No, like no, it's like, like it's I, like it's a non-salesy environment. It's a non. There's not going to be sales happening. But marketing, marketing, if done right, produces sales. Right. That's the whole argument here. Right. Like if, uh, if yeah, market, done marketing's right, job is to revenue. Marketing's job is to uh, generate hand raisers to speak to sales. Um, and so you need to properly interest buyers and educate buyers so that they, you know, the problem aware, solution aware, and they want to come and speak to sales to learn more. Um, and so there's a, there's a point at which the marketing then hands that baton off, right? Someone comes to the website, buyer comes to the website, the request to speak to sales, boom, marketing's done their job. Um, and they've, right, they've qualified that person. But, and so it's um, what I think to give some historical context, I think this helps to understand things. Mm -hmm. um, prospecting or sales development, um, you know, that was sort of, you can think of it as like old school marketing back in the day before the pre-internet era where marketing did not have as much ability as it has today to educate and woo buyers to, you know, and, and come to the website, request to sales, all that type of stuff. And so 
because marketing struggled to bring buyers to sales, what happened is sales would go out to buyers. And so you had field sales. So sellers would go out there and door knock. You had inside sales. Sales would go out and telemarket people. And basically sales would do prospecting, um, you know, this type of stuff part-time in addition to their actual, sh actual sales job of helping buyers to evaluate, to buy, cross-sell, upsell, retention, all that stuff, you know, make sure that, you know, kind of project manage their adoption and success, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it became very clear in the late nineties, early two thousands that like, look, um, prospecting, um, is so laborious. It has to be done constantly in large quantities to produce any results whatsoever. Sellers are constantly trying to avoid prospecting because they want to do their actual sales job. It's not, no one, it's not fun to do prospecting. And so they decided to specialize that role full time. And that's when sales development really hit the scene. And that's predict revenue model, which is the which is the the model that most B2B companies run on is based on how Salesforce did sales development in the early 2000s. Um, and so they, you know, they specialized prospecting, took it off sales's plate, just have like this dedicated role to do prospecting. Um, and so nowadays though, marketing does have that ability to educate buyers in all sorts of great buyer-friendly ways that buyers appreciate whatnot um, that we just talked about. And so, and again, buyers, buyers used to need to rely on sales for most of their educational journey to purchase. Like there wasn't that much information they could, they didn't have the internet to speak to their peers, whatever, to like learn about these vendors. And so they needed to speak to sales. Nowadays, uh, buyers are doing most of their journey by themselves, thanks to marketing and marketing's influence on their peers. And so, um, but what's happening now is that marketing is doing all this stuff. So companies have both marketing and sales development together. There's a mixture. There's two different marketing approaches within the same company. Um, and so, uh, what's happening, what, a lot of companies don't realize, I think, the harm of sales development versus marketing is, is they is they they combine them both when they analyze their marketing efforts. And I think what Cognizant did recently was that they separated their sales development efforts from their marketing efforts, and they compared kind of like the sales development lead gen type of thing, where well, again, marketing is supporting sales development to do their thing versus like marketing is focusing on generating website demo requests. And so what they what so I think as more and more companies separate that, they'll kind of see the harm of sales development, the benefits of marketing, especially if they're actually doing marketing and doing good, good, proper marketing. Um, but essentially, and, and what do you mean by that? This is the buyer centric side, but what's the what's the harm that's being done? Mm. Because yeah, I, so, I'm, so... I, I, I'm, I'm always curious. Uh, I'm curious to hear what you mean by that. Because a lot of this, yeah. has to do, you know, a lot of this sounds great. If you're if you're a tech company and you're uh, selling sales or marketing solutions, well, yeah, I mean, all your people are probably on LinkedIn and you could get them in digital channels. But let's say you sell, um, I don't know, insurance to uh, like Medicare, right? Your buyer, your buyer, uh, yeah, maybe some of them are on Facebook now today, but like, you know, these are people that are retiring or in their retirement years. And, you know, how do you reach those folks? That's an example. But there's lots of these, right? You you you're industrial. You sell to industrial um, uh, companies where you know they're working in factories. They're not sitting in front of a computer and on digital media all day just getting these these ads. Yet you provide a a solution that uh, provides I don't know um, manufacturing automation or something, right? Like you know what I'm saying. So there's there, there's a there's a channel that makes sense if your audience is there, uh, and then there's there's um, there's this concept of demanding, which is content and learning, and et cetera, that I like. I love this idea. But then it's the distribution piece that seems to be your pain, your challenge. And so what's the harm? What's the harm yeah. that's being done through sales development today if they're using modern demand gen tactics 
deployed mm-hmm. via via uh, sales development. You know. Yeah. So what's happening humans. now is that you have humans. Yes, humans doing you'll, this you'll have like marketing and demand gen doing all this like content, social events, community partner marketing, all this type of referral marketing, all all, sure. all these things. Um, to like woo buyers to request a demo on the website. Now, what what's happening now is like, since there's both sales development and marketing, like, okay, so what do we do with sales development? Um, what's happening now is marketing will do all this stuff to woo buyers and that what they'll, what they'll do with sales development is they'll say, um, you know, go out there and basically do your thing to these buyers. And, and, and what's essentially happening is that these are buyers like if marketing were just to continue to do their thing these are buyers that you know would come to the website and request a demo when they are would ready they? to speak to sales yeah if marketing is doing I, their I, job I, I don't know if like if i so for me personally i don't i i like to sell the ceos and founders and then you know uh investors uh, private equity firms etc i don't think partners operating partners at private equity firms are going to be checking out my you know live cold calling show they're not going to come to it, right? If I want to reach them, I have to call them. Like I, I have to, I would have to do that, like or network into it somehow. But I don't have a big network of them, so I have to create demand in some way, right? I can't just sit there and make content all day long and hope that uh, you know every private equity firm eventually finds me, right? So it, 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 there's this there's this crossover between. I, again, it goes it goes back to intent and distribution. I think was where the the challenge is here, right? Marketing only has so many channels that they can use to reach an audience. If your audience is reachable, I would agree. If it is reachable, so if they're on LinkedIn and you want to run LinkedIn ads, well, you have a good shot of reaching them. Still, not all of them. There's still still people with ad blockers. Same thing with, uh, um, you know, uh, Facebook or. TikTok or Twitter, whatever. If they're there, you can reach them, but not everyone's there, right? So you got target message channel and timing, and the data shows that, and this is a tr- this is a fundamental truth. Some people in all channels are reachable and will enjoy it, and there are some people in all channels that are not reachable and will hate it. That's just a fundamental truth. And then you got everything in the middle, right? Yeah, everything so in the middle. Yeah, so you have like depending on your audience, every audience will be a bit different. You've got different channels, you've got dis- different distribution methods, whatnot. Um, and so, you know, um, I would say uh, there's a little bit more thought that can go into um, this is my audience. You know, what channels are they on? How are they learning about stuff? How can I reach them? How can I entice them to engage with us in events or co-marketing or whatever? Where they, which social media channels are they on? Whatever. Like, how can we leverage our partners and our referral and our affiliates to like? Have warm introductions how can we remarket to previous buyers and users that change jobs whatnot all that type of good stuff and you know how can we do community how can we do all that type of stuff um so that you have to kind of think a little bit more you know because it'd be tempting just well oh, the first thing that i could do is just to get in front of them is just to go call them and to go text them or to go hit them up on linkedin or something like that um and so that, that, that'll, that'll that'll definitely come back to though like what it is that you offer Right, so who who you are as a as an individual or a business? Going back to your content example, right? Like if I offer if I offer an opportunity for you to distribute your message through this outreach, that seems to be that seems to be an okay way to use the intrusive approach because I don't need to wait for you to find me. I have something of value. I got I have something to offer you right now that might be greater than the uh, the pain. I guess is is kind of how I see that uh, versus 
you know, playing the longer game, which is like, Hey, if you want to be on my podcast, eventually maybe you'll be, you know, someone will share it with you and you, you'd come to me and ask like, um, is that, is that, is that where the line gets crossed? Um, um so, so yeah, so basically it's like, you know, you, you don't want to kind of go, you know, if we were to kind of just sort of the attitude is like, you don't want to be the person to be like, Hey, come, 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 like, come speak to sales. You know, here's what we got, like pushing, pushing your sort of product type of thing. Um, it's like you, you've got a website. Well, that depends. Got, but that de- make that it very depends clear, on what like, you offer. You are, and, and, Nelson, and doesn't that content. depend on what you offer though? Like if, again, if I, if well, I what's have, the example, I don't know, like infomercials do this really, really well and they've done it for a long time. Right. It's like, Hey, your world today sucks. And here's what we have Buy now, buy now, buy now. And they, they generate a tremendous amount of demand with that exact model. It's that black and white. Uh, you know, it's bright outside and you know, you can't see, and then bam, I got my blue blockers and I'm having a good time. And then they have customer stories like, man, I need those, but I could just push that out there because if I'm in a sunny area and I need sunglasses, well then I'll buy sunglasses, right? Like that, 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 it just, it depends on the, it depends on what you offer. If it works, it's okay to say, Hey, want to buy, I I think, I don't know, maybe I'm off, but if it does, yeah. So even in like an, even like an advertisements, like good digital ads or whatever, it's like what you're trying to do there is not like what a, a shoe seller would, you know, it's like, Hey, here's the shoe. Here's the price. Like, you know, buy now type of thing. It's like what a lot of really good B2B advertising is, is, you know, we're trying to educate you on the problem or on the solution. And it's like here, learn more you know, about, you know, is, this is issue, that, this always, challenge that, is you're that always necessary though? Well, like, you could and I, and also I think this have is a, the, this is the definition of buyer centric stuff, but I, and I'm, mm. I'm, I'm like, I'm excited about this cause I'm really mm-hmm. trying to understand the, the nuances here, but the mm-hmm. buyer centric side of it has to be, let's put the buyer in place. I would think, right? So if I'm the buyer on the other side of receiving this information, if I could use again, sunglasses right now, I don't need you to educate me about sunglasses. I just want the sunglasses. That's actually kind of annoying. If you try to educate me it's like look dude like just take my money i want the sunglasses i don't really need to know about them i want them on my face right now right uh, so you put the buyer into that perspective uh you uh this this happens often uh, i think in um the uh the demand gen model as well where you do too much qualification potentially right uh and, and buyers get frustrated i have people that come through my website right now and they're like hey like I'm not going to fill out this form or I'm not going to pay to meet with you so on and so forth. I want to talk first. It's like, well, I fill out the form. I don't really care, but am I creating too much constraint? Is there uh, not the right, right? Like, is that not the right environment? Is there too much education? Is there too much? You don't going to talk to sales until you're ready. And so, yeah, what, so, like when you say the buyer centric model, I think that's the definition that would be helpful for, for, uh, yeah, for, to, to put these two things together. Right. Cause then, that, yeah. So that, you that want your marketing them. team to be trying to, trying to educate your buyers as much as possible until they those buyers say okay i'm ready to speak to sales because by the time they speak to sales these are the hot leads the layups the sales likes these are sales ready leads where the sales cycles are much shorter the win rates are, are much higher there's sales efficiency you don't need as many sellers because that you don't you're not trying to triage a whole bunch of bad leads that that actually don't they're just kicking tires and so a big part of marketing's job is to yeah educate your buyers as much as possible for, for handing that off it's like think about basketball you got the point guard who does all these fancy like dribbles and stuff like that creative plays and is trying to get the ball to the center so the center can just dunk it in and not to say that that's not to i'm not trying to say that sales is you know like that it's like you gotta help like, i like facilitate. that i like that visual though <laughs> but yeah but it's like it's like marketing has got to do all the the dancing and the wooing you know the song and dance to woo buyers in the door to take someone from a stranger to yeah i want to undertake a serious evaluation potentially spend like six figures or more um, and so, but 
and so a lot of that is also like on the website, um, you know, marketing needs to have the freedom and, and should and have the ability to put like all the information that a buyer needs or wants on the website. So it's like de product tours, demo recording, frequently asked questions, you know, uh, pricing, you know, case studies, like, you know, all this type of stuff so that a buyer can just spend time just playing. Yep. Okay. Things that like normally that like they might have the seller do. It's like they're trying to educate them uh, stuff up front. But then a buyer might say to myself, you know, this is a complex product. I've got some questions about how to buy this thing and who, what's the process. And I got this and that, you know, I'm going to speak to sales, but I kind of pretty much know, I don't, I don't need a seller to tell me like what type of software they sell. And so a seller can get on that call and be like, great, they know what we do. They know whatever I can just help them, you know, uh, uh, solve some questions, tailor, like, you know, show them exactly like what, how it would work for them and what the process is and help them buy this thing and, and get off to the races. And so, um, the seller doesn't have to do as much education as they as they used to if marketing is properly doing their job. Um, and so I think what's happening now today is what I'm trying when you talk about the harm of sales development. And so I see that sales development and marketing are competing for resources. And so sales development, that that's time, labor and capital to do all this stuff. And what's happening is that marketing right now um, is essentially being preemptive, handcuffed, um, crowded out and counteracted by sales development. And so marketing will do all this stuff to like woo buyers. Um, and again, they're competing for resources, but marketing will do all this stuff to woo buyers to eventually request a demo, educating them, do all these, these type of things. So they request a demo on the website. What's happening is that sales development will come in and try to push buyers prematurely to sales. What they'll do is they'll turn off a bunch of buyers through that type of outreach that buyers don't really appreciate that we talked about. Um, and they'll push some buyers prematurely to sales. And these are, I argue, are low quality non-sales ready leads, which Again, marketing is a, trying to woo and it would eventually request a demo, but 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 for, for a lot of reasons, these buyers will will um, will will accept the demo. So they might just be looking for free information. These are tire kickers are just browsing, um, you know, even though they should get this information on the website. But um, or they're looking to get wine and dine, gift cards, dinners, golf, or to get a better price from their incumbent. Um, or they felt sorry for the sales development representative and didn't know how to say no. Um, and so yeah, they'll take a demo with sales, um, and that results in fewer leads for sales overall because some buyers are turned off and lower quality leads, again, lower win rates, lower sales cycles, uh, whatnot. So sales development will celebrate getting a meeting. Um, and, you know, but sales gets kind of caught holding the bag. Um, and then, you know, sales development can say, Hey, look, like we're doing all this great stuff. Like, you know, we're a great addition into marketing, but really it's like, no, no, no marketing was already was doing all this stuff. You just kind of like, you know, push someone in. And so I think there's, um, the, the whole lead scoring, per, uh, type of thing is like, uh, is something I talk about where it's like, um, again, part of the thing is that marketing has to support sales development. So it's not just like capturing contact information with gated content, which is now that we have all these quote unquote contact information of uninterested buyers, how do we prioritize them for sales development? Um, and so what they'll do is they'll say, well, based on the buyer's engagement with marketing, do they attend this event? Do they visit that, uh, website? Uh, page do they do they download this review or, or, or do they go to the gt review um this is someone that has assumed intent to speak to sales and therefore let us try to preempt them and and try to push them prematurely into sales and so you've got this lead prioritization or these lead scoring or lead intent data where they try to like do that and they'll give buyers assigned points based on their title their company and their engagement with marketing um but that you know that person does not mean they're ready to speak to sales because if they were ready to speak to sales they would just request a demo on the website and so well, maybe there's some some in some some of them will nelson i think i think the challenge that you what i'm hearing from you is that and it's it's many people and I've, i have the same i have the same feeling by the way we, we share a lot of common beliefs i'm just kind of 
I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil advocate on some of these things yeah. too. It's just that I think what I'm hearing from you is that you're explaining the experience of a really poorly enabled demand revenue engine, right? That a very poor enabled demand revenue engine that's using sales development, modern marketing. What they do is they buy all these fancy tools. They then spam their TAM. And then they then try to create, uh, turn spam into sales without really understanding the buyer's perspective throughout this journey and understanding that certain people do things in a certain route, not how you've defined your sales process from stage definitions and exit criteria from the time we get across the table through to sale. There's billions and billions of dollars of sales training and education around trying to persuade someone through these gates, whether they are or not, they are or not ready to buy. And to your point, it's been amplified by the predictable revenue model and even more technology and more, right? More money getting thrown at this problem. And we forgot that there's somebody on the other side of the table and we don't know until we can get them into real conversations. And in those conversations is where we learn where they're at and what the next step needs to be. And there's going to be a huge argument around this, right? Persuasion and all of these other things that go into the negative connotation that sales has. But at the end of the day, you know, what I'm hearing, and I think where both of us get a little bit frustrated with the counter arguments here is that most sales and most demand or lead generation organizations are not enabling the function in the right way to put the buyer in the right stake because the incentives of most of these organizations are come in, buy now, do more, grow fast. Everything's around that, right? Where it comes into commissions and um, short-term growth objectives, quarterly quarterly growth quarterly growth that's where you see corporate greed bringing in the wrong customers like all that negative stuff that happens is what what why sales has a very i guess like a negative taste right and what you're trying to bring to the table is like there's a better way to do it but what i would argue back is that it's not about the actual channels and the distribution of that i think all the things you say is fine it's more about the intent along the way are you putting the buyer in the right position to understand who you are, how you can help them, et cetera, and the way they prefer to receive your information. Yeah, if you I can get you there, do. if you can get there, I think that, that that's where you have a better model, right? That, that, that can't be done on just one though. It can't be all done over the phone. It can't be done all over ad. It can't be over one. Like you have to use this multi-channel approach where you're going to engage certain buyers in certain areas of their journey. And, and once they're in, start to learn and adapt and, and provide that along the way. And it's it's an iterative process, right? I can't answer all the questions the first time on my website. Yeah. But over time, I can develop that content. I don't yeah, know. That's, I that's, how, that's, what, that's the, what I hear at this stage. Yeah, the attitude really of sales development um, is that sort of, or the marketing attitude is as many like meetings as possible, regardless of quality or cost or opportunity cost right now. Um, and I think it, again, that's why it's just, it's pushing people trying to just get, go, go, go speak to sales, go speak to sales like right now. And then that doesn't help sales at all. It harms sales because again, it's like fewer buyers overall, cause they get turned off. Plus they're not as ready yet. Like, you know, they're not the hot leads layups that it's more, it's just, it's premature marketing. Um, and so, and it's, and it's super costly. And so I think the, one of the things I'm, you know, if you look at Cognizant, for example, so, um, you know, Alice, the CMO there shared a lot of information about how you guys are basically transitioning from sales development led to, um, being marketing led. Um, and basically, you know, she split the funnel. She compared sales development to, to marketing led, you know, website demo requests versus, let's say everything from the generating con, you know, 
uh, contact inf information of an uninterested buyer to then sales development, trying to get those people to go speak to sales, ultimately all the way to close one. And what she, what she saw and what Cognizant saw is that if you take the sales development led approach all the way from MQL to close one, what you're going to see is a 0.2% conversion rate. Whereas okay. if marketing yep. and demand gen is focusing on demo requests, you're going to convert at a 4% conversion rate. That's a 1900% increase. Um, and so that is consistent across so, many so, SaaS it's also, companies. It's almost 200% above the, in the, the reported HubSpot on MQL close rates, right? If it's 4% on that number, HubSpot says about 2% of MQLs turn into sales. So you, yeah, and if you look at some, if, if you look at other supporting data, it's like um, the yeah, like the the sales win rate. So let's just focus on the sales win rate. Um, the sales win rate on a on a website demo request is anywhere, let's say, average between twenty and thirty percent, sometimes higher. But on a a lead from sales development, um, that is going to be between two and ten percent. Um, so sales has to do a lot more demos from a sales development lead to actually get to close one revenue. Um, and so why are companies focusing all their efforts, um, on, on trying to have marketing, you know, push buyers prematurely to sales versus website demo requests when it creates all this harm and damage to sales and you you know, and also turning off buyers. So I think if you see a lot of buyers are trying to, are, are turning off and tuning out to sales development outreach. So if you look at the number of attempts that it takes for sales development to get in touch with buyers, it has doubled over time from 2010. Yeah. So it used to be like I, four attempts. Now it's like 12 attempts. And then, and then also the buyers are getting gated to, to, to block out uh, email spam that you got your phone thing where it blocks out unknown numbers. There's something for LinkedIn called LinkedIn scare to block out the sort of LinkedIn messages. Um, and so buyers are kind of actively trying to, to evade that type of stuff. And so um, you're spending a lot well, of resources. You're calling you're calling them buyers when they're not, right? If they're avoiding your message, they're not a buyer. That's the challenge, right? And I think this comes back to and 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 I want to leave with a quick question because I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this at the end mm -hmm. here. But this definitely comes back to the fact that we've got really shitty targeting, right? With not aligned messaging and poorly enabled reps that are all driven towards timing being now, right? But when you really look at when marketing or sales, whatever you want to call it, is done right. It's that simple equation: target, message, channel timing. Right? We don't want to target the right people who you know we believe we can help or can help, or we don't really know until we have that. But these are the people that are in our addressable market. That that's the target. Message: What do we need to say right now, based on where they're at in that journey? Right? There are they even problem aware? So like all of that stuff, right? So we need to have the right message to that audience at the right, you know, in the right channel. Right? So where do they want to consume that information? And, you know, is it ads, is it fun, whatever it does, it's an event, it doesn't matter. Everyone's a little bit different, right? Some people like different variations of it. Some people want to talk to salespeople because they don't want to watch videos. They have questions and they want to talk to somebody who can help. But the problem with that is that the, the person delivering it, the channel, the person isn't an expert. They're, they're just regurgitating stuff that could have been in a video. That's another problem. And then it's timing. Is it the right time? Do they truly, are they there? Right? So with that in mind, I think the, the problem is that it's broken. It's broken across not just demand gen and sales, because there's a lot of salespeople that don't know how to educate and bring them back into that journey saying, hey, you're not ready. They don't. They can't say no. They have commission breath too. Oh, it's a lead. I got to close them versus saying, hey, this is a lead. We can't help you right now, but here's some more resources, right? You should go over here. You should go over there. You're not ready to buy, right? You're not even, you're not qualified. It's not truly a sales qualified or like you're saying, sales ready lead. But they're not okay saying that. They're forecasting them in and trying to push them through when they're not ready. 
that's a problem. So uh, I want to end with this because you've said you've shared so much here, Nelson, and I love your take on some of this stuff. Uh, what what changes if you're a revenue team today would you recommend implementing to become more buyer centric in the in this next quarter? Uh, just based on a lot of stuff we shared today. Yes. Um, so I, I basically outline a, a three, four step process for companies today to basically transition. Um, the first thing I would do is I would compare sales development to marketing or demand generation split, um, you know, split your funnel, uh, analyze the leads generated from sales development um, versus website demo requests. Um, and you track that against things like revenue opportunities, cost for opportunities, average sales cycle, um, sales win rate. Um, you know, your conversion rate, different stages, um, you know, your cost per acquisition, your cost per acquisition payback period. Um, you also take into account how much resources you're putting to marketing versus sales development, what marketing is actually marketing doing, or, or you know, are, are they spending a lot of their time as they are nowadays um, supporting sales development with gated content, MQLs, lead scoring, lead intent, all this type of stuff. Um, and then essentially, you, 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 once you see those results, and you're going to see this across the board, that 0.2% or 0.1% versus 4 or 5% um, versus marketing conversion rates and all that type of stuff and all those other business metrics that matter, and you present that um, to, to ownership and to leadership, I recommend then having uh, running two experiments. The first experiment um, is automating in you know demo request qualification, routing, and scheduling directly on the website, which many companies are already doing today, lots of software vendors to do that. Um, and then you repurpose your SDRs to the prospecting stuff and you get, you know, whatnot. Um, ideally, you'd, you'd repurpose them to, to marketing, but uh, to, right now they're being, that when they do that, they'll repurpose them to prospecting. And I think that's probably a, a fine step in the short term. Um, you do that, you kind of run that for a few sales cycles. You look at the improvements in the results there. Um, there's lots of evidence about how much better that is and, and, and the impact that has. Um, then the third experiment that I would run um, or I would propose is to gradually reduce your prospecting activities by 25% increments. So if you're making 20, you know, 100 telemarketing calls, you make 75 or whatever. Um, some percentage, you know, that, that you want to gradually reduce it with, repurpose the SDRs to help with marketing, which they'd be thrilled to do. They're trying to do today anyways, um, content, social events, whatnot, give them quota and commission relief um, during this trial period, and then um, run that for a sales cycle, a two sales cycle. So you're shifting resources and investment from sales development into marketing, and then you're tracking that over time, you're seeing the improvements. Um, and so, you know, you run that, you repeat that, and you basically gradually unwind sales development, um, and you repurpose that talent into marketing or into operations or into sales, which that talent is anyways trying to do. A lot of sales of folks in sales development um, don't enjoy sales development. They're, they're not very happy, low job satisfaction, again, high turnover, and they're trying to get out of sales development as fast as they can. Um, but again, sales development is made a required stepping stone typically to sales. Uh, otherwise, they would have trouble filling that role. Um, and so I think the, sale, the sales development people um, will be thrilled um, you know, to get out of it. Um, I think there are some, some people in sales development um, you know, uh, certain certain influencers or certain uh, leaders who, um, you know, will try to make the sales development reps feel better um, with like false encouragement or kindness or pity or more awards or training or tooling. Us. That, that's like, you know, sales development is struggling today because it's so misaligned with, with buyers and modern marketing and, and you're setting these sales development reps up to fail. And oftentimes these sales development reps are young folks at a college 
who, um, you know, are basically the equivalent of, uh, uh, of corporate cannon fodder um, and who, who just kind of get thrown into, the, you know, and the, the enemy and, and they, and, you know, you, you get screwed over with uh, these quotas and you get screwed over with commission, which is really undesirable. There's a lot of misunderstanding about commission, but there's a reason why other departments don't have commission and sellers do. And the, and the commission is really this false carrot and stick where it's just trying to withhold roughly half of your salary pending your quota attainment. And then some portion greater than your full salary, if you exceed your quota, which we all know is very, very, very unlikely, let alone quota attainment. Whereas I propose if you're going to, you know, for let's, let's say actual sales, you have a full salary and bonus, like any other department, that's the most desirable form of compensation if you're going to go work for someone else. Um, and so I think that, you know, sales development is, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think by, I think it's liberating the sales development folks into productive and fulfilling roles, which they're anyways trying to do as fast as possible. So I see this as unlocking really, really, really good talent. Um, that's stuck in a really, really bad role. Um, and companies will get a lot more productivity and value and creativity um, and, and happier talent because there's, there's a massive cost right there to, 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 to restraining that talent and all that talent turning over. So it's very clear you have a, a strong distaste viewpoint on what most organizations are doing with sales development. I think, Nelson, over time, we'll... We'll get you to see some of the, the the more modern movement. Not everybody is in that bad position. Not everybody is. Uh, everybody hates their job as sales development. There are organizations that are now compensating SDRs in the right way for their uh, value that's being generated through the role. They're rethinking the way that um, the, they're rethinking the way that the function can be leveraged. Um, you know, and some of the things that we talked about today with the distribution and things like that versus meetings today, et cetera. And uh, I, I don't think it's all or nothing. I love your view on this stuff. It's starting the conversation that I think needs to happen because so many organizations are definitely doing it the wrong way. Um, but, you know, if, if I had uh, if I had a, uh, a dream job, Nelson, you know what I do all day? What's that? I would cold call all day long. That's all I would do. But I would be representing a company that I actually believed in. And I'd be talking to people that I could help. And that's, that's, that's the most rewarding thing that, that, that I could do. I just love doing that type of work. So if you could find an organization that enables that, then you're in good sh shape. But I know we're, we're, uh, we're getting a little long in our, I hope that, that the, the content today was helpful, really helps me think about what you're bringing to uh, this conversation. And, and I want to thank you for it because I think that it's a healthy conversation. A lot of organizations should really rethink uh, the way that they've enabled sales development. Um, I would also put the onus on how marketing works with sales development. Sometimes that's a restriction and also how sales is working with sales development and marketing, you know, and if, I want to thank you. If, if, if everyone came together, I think a lot of these challenges that you've mentioned would, would be a little bit different. It would be a little bit different. And I want to thank you, Ryan, for this great conversation and this great forum. Um, you know, these are obviously very, uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a strong, it's a strong position that I take, um, that that's kind of running contrary to the mainstream. And so I appreciate your, you know, you, the way that you hand, you know, wrestle with these ideas as many people are wrestling with these ideas and the openness and the active mind, active mindedness that you have, if that's the word. Um, so I, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, for you, 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 
your actual the way I perceive you is you have a very you're really good at really good marketer and you you know and I think that you're having very com- a lot of conversations at scale with your content with your social media with your thought leadership with these with these recordings these events these these you know um, that's actually where I think you have a um, a phone to many people you're having conversations at scale um, you know through your content through your social media through your events through your you know all this type of stuff um, so I think you're great at this keep keep it up um, so I think it's a different way of looking at it. Um, where you have a lot more impact, um, you know, but um, so, so thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, I think it's been great. Yeah. All the best. And if people want to find your book, what's the name of the, the book, the title again? Uh, yes. It's the death of the SDR and the birth of biocentric revenue. It's on Amazon. I'll be releasing a book update in the next month or two. Um, the, the, the prior one was my first edition. Um, but the second one is going to be way, way better, I think. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Nelson Gilead. I put a lot of content that kind of breaks this stuff down. Um, you know, you can feel free to reach out to me if you've got questions um, or, or want to chat about this stuff. Happy to, you know, set up time for people to kind of chew on this and think about ways to kind of take, take you know, better steps. Absolutely. It's on Kindle. It reads quickly and you'll get the update, I'd imagine, if you do that. And uh, definitely recommend following Nelson if you want to engage in this open conversation because it's it's very educational. So thanks again for having, uh, for joining us on the show today. All the best. Pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. See ya.